Good morning, everyone. All right. I am John Scott, and it's uh, good to be able to, to share with you today. We're going to start in John chapter 3. And, you know, I really, I really enjoy the Gospel of John, not just because it's written by John, but this is actually the, uh, the first class that I took in seminary was the Gospel of John. I was taking it downrange in Afghanistan through Liberty University. So it was like the first, my first real dive into getting to intimately know, know the Bible and preparing for ministry. Um, last week, Jeff finished up John chapter 2, uh, where it records the, when Jesus went in and cleansed the temple of all the merchants and the money changers and showed his zeal for his father's house. And at the end of that passage, there's a, a couple verses, John chapter 2, 23 to 25, um, that mentions that the people began to believe in Jesus and what he was doing because of the many signs that they observed. It says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So there was a a measure of faith going on. There was a measure of belief going on. But but Jesus could tell that there was something that was was not quite right. And so Jesus, rather than be affected by whatever was going on, he continued on his ministry and on his mission, undaunted by what everyone else was doing. Uh, Verses 23 through 25 are really a a segue into chapter chapter 3. So not only do they conclude chapter 2, but they're a segue into chapter 3, going from John declaring that Jesus knew what was in all people to having this particular encounter with Nicodemus, who really probably represented a little bit of what was in every man. So today we continue our series uh, looking into John chapter 3, which conveys some of the most foundational teachings in Christianity. In this chapter, it's kind of the, the, the central part of the gospel. A lot of the memorable verses that we'll see over the next couple of weeks and some of the memorable sayings. So today we'll begin looking at um, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So I'll uh, read it kind of slow so that you can can read with me. All right? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the spirit. 
Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. As as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for your word, Lord God. Lord, thank you that Jesus came in on that Palm Sunday, the beginning of the week of his passion, Lord God, uh, with a mission to reconcile us to you through his death and through his resurrection. So today, Lord God, as we begin looking at the very foundation of the gospel, I pray that you would fill each of us with your spirit, Lord God, and teach each one of us what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So back in, I don't know, 1989, maybe, um, I began my first somewhat semi-serious negotiations with Jesus on this whole on this whole gospel thing. I had just finished eighth grade. I was going into ninth grade and I was at a, a basketball camp at a Baptist college near my near my hometown. And they taught us basketball day in and day out, played several games. You know, it's a lot of fun. Playing basketball for like eight hours a day is, is great, or at least it was then. Now it'd probably wind me up in the hospital. But one of the things we did besides play basketball was they would have these different presentations of the gospel day in and day out. Sometimes the counselors would, would present something, but they also had these videos of famous basketball players and, and their testimonies. And they talked about how their lives changed after they received Jesus. You know, I found Jesus and all these things changed in my life. But the one little nugget that I picked up on is a lot of them talked about how their game got better. You know, they became better basketball players. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they said something about being better husbands and wives and all this and all that. But I heard them say that they were they were balling after they came to Jesus. So I was like, OK, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So after I heard these testimonies, I went straight to Jesus. I really did. I went to Jesus and I was like, Jesus, help me out here. You know, these people are, are coming to you and they're playing better basketball. So here, here's what I would like to have happen. I just want to average double figures. Ten points is fine. I don't want anything big. I want to go out. I want to average about, you know, 10, 10 12 points. Uh, and I want to be able also to improve my free throw shooting, ball handling, and a nice 15-foot jump shot. You know, if you can, if you can do that for me, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for, for whatever, whatever you want. Um, so that's so that's what I did the first time I heard the gospel. I was like, yeah, I want to become a better a better basketball player because I really wasn't hearing at the time what the people were saying. I wasn't hearing what they were trying to point me to. I was just I was just hearing about I was just hearing the sign itself. It was like, OK, I come to faith and I all of a sudden everything in my life is better, especially basketball. So. I was amazed at the outward manifest manifestation, but I wasn't focusing on the heart of the gospel of, of what they were sharing. 
So I knew what I wanted, and I knew what I thought that I needed, but Jesus knew exactly what I needed. And what I needed was exactly the thing that Nicodemus needed that night when he went to Jesus. I needed to be born again. Now, from, you know, the time I was born until I was about 21 years old, I'm glad, you know, Jesus didn't give up on me over that whole basketball thing. I don't think I ever did average double figures, but um, I scored in double figures a couple times. Anyway, Jesus continued to draw me to himself over, over the rest of that span. And, and a lot of that was through, was largely through athletics until I finally realized that it really wasn't the athletics and all these other things that I was looking for, but it was really that I was looking for him all that, all that time. And I was thankful that Jesus didn't give me what I wanted right away. Because had I averaged double figures and done all this other stuff, who, who knows what would have happened? You know, who knows what, what character would have, would have developed? But he did treat me the same way that we see that he treated Nicodemus in, in this passage. Uh, and when I finally saw him, when I finally sought Jesus out earnestly, the answer was, you must be born again. Now, many of you in here have already realized that need to be to be born again. Some of you may still be seeking answers. I don't know where where everybody's at. But either way, as we go through this today, I encourage you to kind of take on that role of Nicodemus and, and hear kind of first person what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in this encounter. Nicodemus came in with his own agenda. We really never find out what he wanted, but he obviously came in with with something on his mind. Um, But he didn't understand his own need. And today's passage shows us that Jesus, he really knows what is in us and what we need. We've all been Nicodemus at times. Our our questions and our agendas, we've got things on our mind, but they don't necessarily line up with our greatest need. So Nicodemus' need, which is also our greatest need, is in Jesus' declaration that unless you are born, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And put just a little bit of a different way, Jesus' message is, in order to live once, you have to be born twice. In order to live once, you have to be born twice. Everything I'll share this morning is going to revolve around that, that one truth. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God saves us by his grace through our faith in Jesus and our salvation, our reconciliation, all these things that we, we come and, and sing about every Sunday are all wrapped up in the fact that we have to be reborn. Now, this passage, you know, these one through 15, these verses, they're, they're, it's not a very complicated exchange. It's actually pretty simple. And it comes down to really simply to, to two men and a message. So the first man, Nicodemus, he was a man with a plan. You know, we don't know, we don't know what his plan was, but he came in as a man with a plan. Now, it says that he came, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later, about what, what all that means. Um, there's a lot of different opinions of, of what's going on or why he came by night. But we'll skip that for now. So just accept that as just a fact of the story for right now that he came by night. And, and he, did, he did something else that also really, really enjoy. Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus just like any good, faithful, 10-year-old child. 
you know, he comes in and he's like, oh, you know, Rabbi, you're the, we know that you're a man come from God. You know, he's flattering, doing the platitudes. You know how when the kids, if you've got kids or we've all at least been a kid, how you're trying to apply that ancient art of buttering a person up in order to, to, to set them up for the kill so you can ask them what you're really looking for. Um, and then Jesus, for his part, responds like any good parent. He just blows him off. Like, you know what? Whatever. Let me tell you what's really going on. So then enters Jesus, the God man with the God plan. So again, we don't know what Nicodemus wanted. That my assumption is, is that Jesus did. But Jesus, more important than that, knew what he needed. And he took the opportunity to teach Nicodemus. And for all those who were, who were also there, who we don't know exactly who they are, to share with them how to enter into the kingdom of God. And he tells him straight, in order to enter God's kingdom, one must be born again. Now, that word again in the Greek is, is anothen, and it can mean again or from above. And most Bible translations do, do, trans, do render it again, but some do translate it from above. And many of the, the scholars and different people believe that John intentionally used that word that could be translated both ways and just left it ambiguous on purpose. Because indeed, both are true. You have to be reborn and you have to be born from above, being born by that will of God. Rebirth means that one must be born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. Now, there's two words here in the Greek and in the English translation, water and spirit, but it's really one idea. It's one idea of being born by water and spirit. Water doesn't mean that one has to be physically born. It's not a, 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 a nod to amniotic fluid of physical birth, and it's also not an allusion to the water of baptism. In fact, John the Baptist, we know from the Bible that he came to baptize with water, but that wasn't the, the final baptism. He himself said he did that in order to be a precursor to the one who would come after him, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what he's really looking at is really something probably more similar to what we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. And this is, you know, the prophet speaking for God. I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, cleannesses. That's hard to say. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So it's cleansing. It's actually God setting his people up by his spirit to cleanse them of the things that prevent the people from coming to God. Those barriers that stand between us, God takes the initiative and says, I will be the one to cleanse you. So the baptism of water and spirit is actually being cleansed of that sin nature by, by God. So it really is one idea. It's one, one idea that comes together. 
And the reason that one must be reborn to enter the kingdom of God is that flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. In John's writing, flesh represents what is what is finite, the things that are that are limited, that they're they're imperfect. They're not complete. This is different than how Paul handles the flesh in in a lot of his writings and his writings. The flesh is a symbol of the sin nature. But for John, it's something very specific. Again, it's something that is that is finite. And then the spirit represents that which is infinite, that which is complete and that which is perfect. Paul gives a a summation and it's not going to be on the screen, but Paul kind of gives a summation of what Jesus is saying in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. He writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's because of the nature, because of the nature that we're that we're born with. We have to be reborn. We have to be cleansed by God. We have to be reborn through that water and spirit to be able to inherit the kingdom of God because the imperfect or the flesh is not going to be able to inherit what is perfect and what is eternal. And John says as much in chapter uh, in his in chapter one, verses 12 and 13. Talking about those who received the word, those who received the light, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We know that the wages of sin is death and that we're born in a, in a state of sin and therefore that we're spiritually dead um, because, because of the fall, because of the curse. Therefore, in order to truly live, in order to be made alive, even that one time where we're in a state where we can move into eternal life, in order to live once, we have to be born twice. And it's really that simple. There's a lot there in verses 1 through 15, but, but that's the message. The message is Nicodemus, at least for our, from our perspective, we don't know what this dude wanted. We've got no clue. But Jesus is look, basically looking right at him like, hey, I know you've got an agenda here, but here's, here's what's going on. So it's, it's very simple. Uh, and really, we're no different than Nicodemus. We all have concerns. We've got goals. We've got dreams. And we want these things to be addressed. If you were here last week or if you go back and look at, at that end of John chapter 2, after Jesus cleansed the temple, the people said, what sign do you offer to show your authority for doing this? And Jeff kind of posed the question, what signs do we demand from Jesus before we'll believe? For a kid in 1989, I just wanted to be able to put five two-point baskets in the goal. You know, that's all it was going to take for me, for me to believe. Um, but our ultimate concern has to be reconciliation. Our ultimate concern is our standing before the king of kings. Our ultimate concern, our ultimate need, our ultimate want has to be to make Jesus Lord in our lives. So if that's the only thing that you walk away with from the sermon today, then, then that's the only thing you walk away with. And I think it's probably the only thing that you need to walk away with. But... 
you know, in the interest of not selling the whole the whole passage too short, there are a couple of of side issues or well, not really side issues, a couple of other issues in, in the passage that, that are good for clarity for us that I'd like to, to bring up. The first one is what is up with you? What's up with you? In verses 7, 11, and 12, something unique in the Greek happens. A few of the yous actually are, are plural instead of singular because he's talking to Nicodemus. Jesus is, is exchanging with Nicodemus, but then these Greek words, he's actually starts to address a larger audience. So there it says, you must be born again. That's the first time in the passage that that you goes to plural. And then down in, in verse 11, it says, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you, and again, plural, earthly things, and you, plural, do not believe, how can you, again, plural, believe if I tell you heavenly things? So this is for more than just Nicodemus. Jesus is, is not just addressing this one guy saying, there's something wrong with you, you need to be born again. What he's saying is everyone who hears this message, everyone who walks this earth, all of you need to be born again. And the second thing is a little, a little breaking down of the confusion. Because Nicodemus, he was confused. He was confused with what Jesus was telling him. And when I first studied through this and, and really took a look at it, I was like, man, this Jesus dude, you know. I've been looking at this guy, Jesus. I had a picture. <laughs> I had a picture on a light outside my room when I was growing up in Xenia, Ohio. And it was a picture of Jesus coming out of the tomb. And then, it, but if you did your head a certain way, then it was a different picture of Jesus. And it was just his face, a close up of his face. And the thing that makes me laugh is it was that Jesus that, that you were talking about, Jeff, with the, with the flowing long hair, the, the, the perfectly nicely cropped beard, you know, smile, nice guy. You know, he's coming out of the tomb, and I'm like, man, look at this guy. He's clean, you know, he's got his makeup on. It's like, he's, he's looking good. So that's kind of the picture that I had of Jesus, you know, kind of, even though I didn't go to church, I had friends who did the, the Sunday school Jesus, big, nice guy and all this. And I'm like, man, he's really giving it to this dude, Nicodemus. He's just, he's just tearing him up. But... As I looked at it and learned more about it, he, he wasn't being unreasonable. Jesus really wasn't approaching Nicodemus and telling him things maybe that he didn't understand in those words, but he should have been able to understand the concepts of being reborn. Nicodemus, key here, he was a Pharisee. And we know from the exchange that the Pharisee, when, when Paul was being interrogated in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in being brought to life a second time. So though he may not have been completely familiar with the rebirth language, Jesus wasn't giving him something brand new. And he would, Nicodemus would have been familiar with the, the words of the prophet Ezekiel when God tells him to prophesy to the bones in the desert, to bring those bones back to life. So this was a concept really that, that he accepted, at least on some level. And then the idea that one has to be cleansed to be in or near God, I mean, that goes, that goes, for our knowledge, we know that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. 
about the priest going in before he's going into the to the tabernacle to worship before God and these different things that you have to be clean, that the areas that are holy have to be clean. If you're unclean, you can't enter these areas. So this is not a new revelation. And that's why Jesus talks to him about not being able to understand earthly things, because this has already been revealed. The things that we're talking about right now, at least a portion of this, I've already told to you. So if you can't understand the need to be resurrected, to enter the kingdom of God, if you can't understand the need to be clean, to go before a holy God, how are you going to understand who who I am? How are you going to understand the relationship of the father and the son? How are you going to understand some of the things that I'm going to teach here in the future? And then finally, we see that the son of man must be lifted up. He must be lifted up. This this verse is really serves as as a, a transition into John 316, which is one of the most quoted, most popular verses in the Bible seen in church, seen at WWE wrestling matches, football games, basketball, all that. But it also has a lot of meaning just on its own that the son of man has to be lifted up. The first, first, he has to be lifted up on the cross. He's clearly saying that just as Moses raised the serpent in the, in the wilderness, that the son of man has to be raised up on the cross to die for man's sins. Jesus then must defeat death and rise again from the grave and be lifted in glory with God. So he's lifted up on the cross. Then he's lifted up to glory in God. And then finally, we have to lift him up in our hearts. Jesus has to take a place in our hearts that is is above, that is over everything else in our lives. So he has to be lifted up on the cross, lifted up in glory with God, and lifted up in our hearts. So God, he's already done the first two. You know, the Bible tells us that God has already done the first two. So now we, you, must also lift him up. Simply, we have to decide. You have to decide how you're going to respond to the gospel. You come to church or you go to this place or that place or a friend talks to you or somebody leaves a track under your under your windshield. However, it has happened for you in the past. At, At that moment, you had to decide how you were going to respond to the gospel. Had to decide to either decline the offer or to lift him up, to put him in that place, to put that trust and place that faith in him. So I want to suggest three things that you can do to begin or to continue to lift Jesus up in your life. First, if you don't know him and you're not sure about Jesus, the first thing I would encourage you to do is is ask the right people in order to make an informed decision. It It sounds pretty simple. Ask the right people in order to make an informed decision. Now, back to Nicodemus coming at night. Some say he came at night because he was afraid of what the other Pharisees would do. They talk about putting people out of the temple. He's on the inside. So, you know, at some point they're going to start talking about trying to to kill Jesus. How can they how can they set him up? So he probably had good reason to be afraid. Other people look at the symbolism in John's gospel. The light 
versus darkness is really an allusion to good versus evil. So Nicodemus came at night. He came in the night of his soul. He wasn't informed. His soul hadn't seen the light. So he was still darkened in soul. So he came to Jesus in in that state. But maybe, just maybe, he came at night because he had some serious questions and he wanted some one-on-one time. Maybe he was just a little bit a little bit selfish, and I don't say that to pick on him because that's kind of the exact experience that I had. So fast forward from ninth grade, I really came to Christ when I was 21 years old. I was attending a ROTC advanced camp at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 96, the last year they had it there, by the way. So I was part of the last, the last time they did it there. Anyway, I was at a chapel service, and the chaplain delivered a message about whatever, I don't know. And then he ended up with an altar call. He had the altar call, you know, with all eyes closed and heads bowed. If you today, if you're here, you know, the whole thing, you've heard it. So I didn't get up and go down there. I I, I don't even know if I peaked. I might, I probably peaked. Knowing me, I probably peaked just to see if anybody else was going. But, you know, I I really, I I didn't think a whole, whole lot about it. Um, Now, was I probably a little embarrassed to walk up there? Yeah, I probably was. You know, that was, that was new to me. That was kind of, I hadn't been in church. You know, I really hadn't been in church, so I didn't know what that was all about. Um, was, was I walking in darkness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, uh, you know, the promise to, to come to Jesus for scoring 10 points per game or whatever, what, what's that all about? You know, so, so I, I, I didn't have any more light in my soul at that point than I had had back in ninth grade. But more than either one of those, what I definitely knew is that I had questions. And that sermon didn't answer those questions. And going up to an altar call, and now what I know is praying a prayer, but I didn't know what I was going up there for then, that wasn't going to answer the questions that I had. So I found out where the chaplain's office was, and I went to him later that day so that we could talk together one-on-one. Um, you know, I've, I wanted I wanted some some answers. I wanted to ask some more questions. I wanted to have a dialogue. So I say all that to to encourage you that if you're still at that place where you're making a decision, it's okay to not maybe participate in some of the the churchy stuff that is like I'm not sure I'm ready to come up there for that. But there's somebody that I want to talk to. So ask the right person. And what do I mean by that? Now, I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody, but. It is a technique to ask your non-Christian friends about Jesus, that that is a technique. And it is a technique that that quite a few that quite a few people use. Um, But when you say it out loud, it doesn't really make any sense to ask someone about Jesus who has never experienced Jesus. So. You know, I would I would encourage you to ask a Christian, maybe even if there's not a complete trust there, just just take a chance. You know, one more quick story. When I was getting ready or I was considering whether I wanted to go to Ranger School or not, when I was a young, probably cadet, but definitely as a young second lieutenant. There were a lot of people who never completed and never even attended who had a whole lot of opinions about ranger school, all negative. Hadn't spent not two seconds on Fort Benning 
but had an opinion about why I shouldn't go. Oh, you're an armor officer. You're going to be in tanks. You're going to be doing this and that. I didn't. End, I never ended up in tanks. But a lot of people had a lot of negative stuff to say that had never been there. So it is key that when we have questions that we ask the right people. And it's also key that we ask Jesus. John 14 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if he's the way, he's also one that, should, that we should be asking, and he will give us the answers that we seek. So ask the right people. And then for those of us who have already made that decision, we have to remind ourselves, you have to remind yourselves that Jesus was lifted up, and you have to remind yourselves why Jesus was lifted up. We can't lose track of that. We can't feel comfortable in the fact that we have made this or that confession and think there's nothing else. We have to remember that Jesus was lifted up on the cross for our sins. Each of us is a great sinner, but thankful, thanks be to God that Jesus is a great Savior. When we, when we come with that right attitude of humility, I think we approach our world the right way. We approach Jesus the right way when we realize who we are and who he is. And then once we've lifted him up to the proper place and we've reminded ourselves, we have to look to him. We have to actually look to him. And this is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. We look to him for eternal life. That's just what, that's just what the passage says. That's what John 3.16, we go, that's what it says, is that we look to him for eternal life. We also look to him for healing. Whatever's going on, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, the frustrations we have at home, again, we look to him. And then we look to him as an example of how to live our lives day by day. Eternal life, healing, and we look to him as an example of how to live our lives. God lifted up his son on the cross and then raised him to his right hand in heaven almost 2,000 years ago. God has done his part. Now it's our time to lift him up in our hearts that we have the hope, that we have the chance, that we have the promise of being lifted up with him in eternity. So I ask the worship team to come on up as I close. So our need is clear. Our need is clear. We must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And as we continue to go throughout the book of John, we will see that life is about more than just dying and going to heaven. That's, that's, that is our ultimate reward. But there's also a life to be lived as we go through step by step. And we'll continue to unfold that as we continue in our series. But there's a lot of joy to be had in this life and a big foundation of that joy that we do have in this life is knowing, is in knowing, it's all right. It's in knowing that there is a life to come. To obtain the promise of eternal life, we have to be born again. To live once, we have to be born twice. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you again that you came to die for us. We also thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself to us, Lord. We thank you that you used the, the, the prophets, the psalmists, the apostles, and all these different people throughout the ages 
to record your word that we could learn from them, that we could fellowship with them, Lord God, that we could fellowship with you through your word, Father. We thank you that you sent your spirit into us to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught. So, Father, help us, whether we need to be born again or whether we are born again, Lord God, help us to follow you, to walk with you, to chase after you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.